Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to this week's podcast. There's a few news posts to talk about, as well as a couple of technical reviews I'd like to share, so let's jump right in. First up, Analog announced that they'll be shipping the Mega SG console a little bit early on March 25th. Uh, I believe they originally said April, so whatever. Even if it's only a few days, still better early than late. Uh, and as always, they had a great marketing campaign. Uh, the two things I've always said about Analog is Keftris is the man, and their, analog, or their Analog's marketing team is incredible. Um, this Their ad was a nod to an original Sega ad, uh, and I thought it was really brilliantly and tastefully done. Um, the original Sega ad, of course, was something poking fun at the launch edition SNES because it only had a few games, so their excuse was, buy ours because we have more. But it was still Sega's marketing back in the day. It was pretty awesome, too. Uh, I think everybody of that age remembers uh, Sega Genesis does what Nintendo don't. <laughs> um, and, you know, uh, Analog did a great job with theirs, as always. I think a lot of people online misinterpreted uh, interpreted Analog's version as if they were teasing some other company, because just a few days earlier, um, that other company tried and failed miserably to <laughs> throw shade at Analog. Uh, but no, no, that, uh, that was just a really, in my opinion at least, a very awesome nod towards the original ad. So... Anybody looking for the mega, looking to get a Mega SG, it should be out relatively soon. Uh, and anybody that doesn't uh, know exactly what that is, there'll be a lot of info on it soon. Trust me, every YouTuber you've ever even heard of or not heard of will have a review about these soon. But it's an FPGA-based Sega Genesis that uh, supposedly should be cycle accurate, meaning you'll get on flat screens and video capture, you can get a crystal clear image out of it as opposed to um, any analog game consoles, but especially the problematic Genesis consoles, you'll always have some kind of interference. So uh, I'm looking forward to trying mine, and uh, we'll see how it performs. Evan from SNES Central just posted a review of an unreleased SNES game called Super Shadow of the Beast. Of course it has Super in front of it. <laughs> um, and I guess it was originally an Amiga game that was going to get ported over to the Super Nintendo with some enhancements, uh, but was never finished. So it's uh, always really enjoyable for me to look at these because you get to peek into a game that could have been uh, especially games that are ports of other ones you get to see differences and maybe this would have been better maybe not maybe they all stink whatever um, and the one thing Evan did point out is this one seemed a bit too hard for a mainstream game so hopefully that would have been tweaked before release but if anybody's interested uh, definitely check out his full review I certainly enjoyed it uh, and I haven't uh, had a chance to play the ROM yet but I always like playing these too I keep forgetting to go back and play the Steven Seagal game that uh, Genovi talked about a while back. That one seemed so ridiculous that I think I might enjoy spending a few moments with it. Stone Age Gamer has just posted details of their SD to SNES trade-in program, and uh, you'll get credit towards an SD to SNES Pro depending on the condition um, and on the revision of your SD to SNES. So um, at the moment, they don't have any pros in stock, and they'll be getting them soon. I think they're, wor uh, they're working on getting better cases to fit North American models and stuff like that. But overall, I, I think this is really an awesome thing for them to offer. They certainly didn't have to. Um, and I just would like to remind everybody that your SD to SNES works just as amazing today as it did before the Pro was out. So while I'm a huge SNES fan and I will buy everything that comes out for the SNES that, that seems awesome, um, you know, I just wanted to once again talk to the talk towards the people that were upset about there being a new version out and just remind you that yours still works awesome. So I'll be getting one. 
Cousin Scott probably won't. Cousin Scott's probably like, I don't need any of that yet. Let me wait to see the other awesome stuff. And, you know, there's all those other people in between. So make your decision based on your needs or if you're just crazy like me and you got to have all the best of the Super Nintendo stuff. But pretty awesome that Stone Age Gamers offering this. Um, and uh, anybody interested, at least just take a look and see if it's worth it to you. A brand new shmup game for the Genesis and Mega Drive was just announced called Irina. And it looks really cool. It looks like a, you know, a very high-quality side-scrolling shmup. Um, so the developer's looking to get it out by 2020, and I think that's a bit amb- ambitious because this looks pretty cool. Uh, unless maybe there's multiple uh, level releases or something awesome like that. But either way, this is definitely something I'm going to be watching because I love new games for old systems, especially when they're, they're quality. And you could always kind of tell when they're made with love and, and not just like a, a fun project. Uh, and I mean that respectfully, of course. I'm, I'm talking about all the awesome games out there, so this looks like one I'll definitely put on my list. Another new Genesis game was also announced called Chromosphere. It's currently on Kickstarter, and according to the Kickstarter campaign, the game was 100% finished and tested. So I guess that means the Kickstarter is really just for physical carts and for the release of the game, not development, which is pretty cool. Uh, you know, I, I kind of like that way now. I think uh, Paprium is has tainted software projects for for a lot of retro developers. And that stinks, because very often you do get what you paid for. You just, you more often hear about the ones that you don't. But it looks like a pretty neat game, so if it looks like something you'd be interested in backing, uh, definitely check out the Kickstarter campaign. And I also hope, uh, after the campaign's funded, that they continue to do things like other developers have done, like the name your own price for the game. Because uh, maybe I'm just spoiled and selfish nowadays but stuff like this i really love trying first and i always buy it if i like it always but uh you know what if i don't what if it's an incredibly awesome game that everybody else on the planet loves and i don't so hopefully they'll consider that eventually but i certainly uh don't blame them for needing to uh, charge for everything because you got to get your kickstarter funded but either way it looks pretty neat and uh I, i hope i get to check it out and the last of the new Genesis game news, the Paprium spoof Papirium. still love that. Uh, that's a bit delayed, ironically, but got a new developer. I guess the original developer just got super busy with real life. It happens. Uh, and has passed the project along to somebody else who is very interested in finishing it. So that sh- should still come out. And I, I still think it's hilarious and really hope it comes out just out of principle, even if it's only one level, <laughs> just for the heck of it. But that's... Uh, that made me smile, so hopefully we'll get to see that one soon. And a uh, big thanks to Ray for doing the uh, all of the Genesis game posts. Uh, I hadn't been keeping up with that as much, so without Ray, those would have gone unnoticed, at least on Retro RGB. So thanks again. I just posted a review on two inexpensive TVs that are pretty good for retro gaming. And uh, last year I had purchased a 43-inch TCL because I'd heard those had pretty low lag. And I believe it was Ace that had suggested I also take a look at VLG TV uh, in its 43-inch version. So a friend of mine needed a new TV and uh, liked TCLs. So I said, hey, why don't you take mine? I'll I'll go get the LG and I could review both. So she was cool with that. I went out and got the LG, sat them both next to each other, and went through everything that... I wanted to know as somebody who wanted to purchase a cheap TV. So I didn't get in-depth. I didn't go into things like motion blur and stuff because that's really out of the scope of this review. Um, They're $300 TVs, and the whole point is I wanted a bedroom TV and something I could use for gaming if I needed to. So how do they work? 
And the answer is they both work great. There's certain features that one has that the other doesn't or the other one does better. Um, there were a bunch of people that, uh, very helpful in the comments, posted questions about, are you sure you tried this? Are you sure you tried that? Yes to all of it. I really, although I did refer to it as a quick review and not in depth, everything that I said I did research and double check. So I should have, uh, I should have clarified that a little bit more. But if you're interested in just a, a cheap TV that plays all of the OSSC modes on even Super Nintendo without D-Jitter, and works as a fairly decent TV. I mean, for 300 bucks, no complaints whatsoever. These two are great. Um, the one complaint that I did get a lot in the comments is even though uh, in the description and in the video I said these are just two TVs I have access to, a lot of people were very upset that I didn't try the Australian model, the European model, and everything else. Um, so for those people, I would like to direct you to my Patreon page. Uh, if you would like to sign up and post enough funds to fly me to Australia, I would love to test every TV you've got. <laughs> and now for the opposite of cheap TVs. LG had just announced this year's pricing and availability of their OLED line of TVs and announced two very important features with them. First was variable refresh rate support, and next was automatic low latency mode. So variable refresh rate could be cool. I don't know how it would apply, apply to retro gaming. Maybe that means it would accept the OSSC in all modes with all consoles. Let's just hope. Um, but automatic low latency mode seems cool. That's something where your game console would theoretically tell your TV when it's playing like Netflix or something, or when you're actually playing a game, and switch your TV's mode for you. And while that automatic switching is great and something I would like, I have no problem manually putting it into game mode. I just would really like to know what that latency is. Because my current 2016 OLED TV has about 32 milliseconds of latency in all progressive resolutions, which is only around two frames of lag, but that's still two more than I would have liked. So, uh, and I genuinely can tell the difference. So uh, we'll see how much lower it is and uh, let's see what else they could add to it. No 3D with, uh, once again, they haven't had them since 2017, which I know most people don't care about 3D, but I really did find a few games, a uh, few PS3 games, uh, and a few movies where the 3D experience made it genuinely better overall. So, uh, you know, watching it or playing in 2D was, to my, in my opinion, definitely less than the experience of 3D. Now, of course, there were all the cash grabs where movies that were post-processed, uh, you know, games that really didn't care about it. And I get it. I, I'm sure that's what essentially killed the format. And, you know, more of that, not enough of the good stuff. But hopefully they'll consider bringing it back. Maybe they'll, they'll re-release The Hobbit or something in, you know, in the high frame rate 3D, and that'll force TV manufacturers to, to get 3D, kind of like what James Cameron did with Avatar. But, oh well. Uh, I wish I had uh, I wish I had some ability to test all of these because uh, even if I were rich with an infinite amount of money, I would find it a complete waste to to buy every model. And these higher end TVs just are not available in all stores. So uh, maybe anybody with a time sleuth, if you see one at one of these at a Magnolia Theater or something, ask them if you could test the lag. Parafractic has just announced his new key replacement for the Commodore 64 called the Bricks Key 4. It's essentially a way to use Legos and his caps to replace the keys on a Commodore 64 computer. So in place of the original key goes the Lego, and then on top of the Lego you snap in um, whatever the letter or key, uh, key character would be. 
So I think it's a pretty neat and ingenious idea, and if nothing else, it's hilarious. So if you were looking for a fun and silly way to replace the keys on your Commodore 64, this is it. Woozle has just shown off his 32-pin adapter for the Game Boy Advance consoleizer. Up until now, you were only able to install his kit in 40-pin versions of the GBA, but now with this, you'll be able to install it in any original Game Boy Advance console. So uh, if you are interested in this kit, start hunting around for GBAs with broken screens. It uh, doesn't matter which one you get now, and you'll be able to utilize the kit. Uh, also, I'll soon have more news on availability and pricing and pretty much everything related to the GBA consoleizer. I think they're just working out the, the final orders and getting the first run kits taken care of, but hopefully there'll be more news on that soon. So uh, pretty cool for anybody who wants to get a Game Boy Advance consoleizer. Genovi's Retro Impressions just announced that they're opening a second channel that's dedicated to preserving gaming-related videos. So he's already taken a few VHS tapes and converted them to digital in a very high quality and uploaded them to YouTube. Um, and, you know, stuff like this, I really enjoy it, and I, I hope that more people jump on board for things like this, especially people that have VHS tapes laying around of old commercials, and especially if they're higher quality. Because a lot of the stuff out there is just, and I'm not blaming anybody, you know, it was recorded on a beat VCR from the early 90s, and, you know, the, the tape probably was recorded over 10 times before it. It's just, that's not, that's just the way it was back then. So that's, uh, and that's just what we have to work with these days. Um, I think he's doing a great job with the upscaling and the whole process, certainly no complaints there, but this did remind me that the LD Decode um, Doomsday, Doomsday Duplicator project for Laserdiscs still needs to be ported over to VHS players. Um, I love that project, and I really hope it gets to VHS at some point. If I had the technical ability to do so, I, I really would have spent the time to do it already, just because not only things like this, there's just so many people around the world that have some sort of VHS tape that it would be much better if it was archived in the best possible way. And anybody interested as to why it's the potentially best way, definitely go back and watch that interview. It's linked right in the bottom of the Genovese post. Because it's something that I think might be a game changer for anybody with VHS archives. Um, it's also, you know, it'll take up a lot of space, so you probably shouldn't archive everything you own this way, but the important stuff. So if you're skimming through an old VHS tape and you see that there's a commercial in there that's important, grab that, you know. But anyway, hopefully that project will see the light of the day soon. And until then, uh, check out Genovi's second channel and enjoy some of those old commercials in pretty high quality. Atari has just announced that their upcoming VCS console will be delayed till the end of 2019 and uh, cite the reasoning as switching to what I believe is a still unreleased AMD chipset and processor to match. So, you know, on the one hand, I totally get it. You're going to want to go with the chipset that supports the latest version of HTCP and HDMI that guarantees your longevity for at least a bit longer than what the previous would have been. That part I understand, and of course there's always the benefit of, you know, faster, cooler, whatever else. It just, this entire project has red flags surrounding it, especially switching now. So it, anybody that's ever worked in manufacturing and production knows that it's minimum of three months for a project like this to go from finished prototype to first production sample. So that means they, they really weren't very far down the line on that last one. Either that or they completed all development and testing 100%, which is a lot of work, and then scrapped it for new hardware. So um, I, I will 
just recommend that people take caution for this project. I think that it's either not going to come out or it's going to be a complete flop. <laughs> but I hope it's not. I hope it's awesome. I hope there's something that, uh, that I'm not seeing in this. But there's not one thing about this that, uh, that I'm looking at and feeling like it could offer something different than a ton of other things out there. So keep your expectations in check and hopefully this thing won't suck too bad. Someone named Enforcer just did some pretty in-depth testing on a few wireless controllers, and Todd from Todd's Nerd Cave was nice enough to compile it into a really awesome post. So uh, thank you to both of you, and welcome to your first RetroRGB blog post. But the testing involved the 8BitDo 2.4GHz controller, the 8BitDo um, Bluetooth controller, and Crix's Joyce controller, which is also 2.4GHz. Um, and the testing was that the, both the Cricks and the 2.4 gigahertz 8-bit dough came in around 3 milliseconds on average. So I guess Cricks averaged 3, 8-bit doughs was 3.6, close enough. Um, but the Bluetooth controller came in at 21 milliseconds. And the way the testing was done, I thought was awesome. I think this is probably the best way to test controllers. Um, Enforcer took an oscilloscope and had one probe on the controller button and the other one on the receiver. So completely bypassed everything else so that when you pressed the button, an oscilloscope was measuring the amount of time it took to get from the controller to the part of the receiver that touches the Sega Genesis. Um, and I think this is awesome because I've used other slow motion camera ways to test lag, but you have to, there's a lot of variables. There's, you know, the wireless controller, the software processing inside the console, inside the console, and of course, display lag if you're using a flat screen. And when you're talking about milliseconds, I don't even think it's possible to get that exact results doing slow motion testing, uh, slow motion camera testing versus this. So it's uh, really incredible that we got such accurate numbers. And uh, I love scientific testing that can be reproduced by anybody that, you know, it's basically show your work and everybody knows it's legit type of thing. So I thought this was all very awesome. Uh, anybody interested, please read the whole article. I do have an opinion on this stuff, though. It's because this is kind of what I've been trying to explain for a while. I just didn't have the ability to test like this. And that, you know, for modern consoles like the Switch, having a Bluetooth controller is just the norm. So that 21 milliseconds of lag is something that your game developers have probably already considered when they're making their games. When they're testing, they're testing with a controller that has the same amount of lag. So as long as it matches whatever the stock Nintendo controller was, or close to it, or hopefully maybe even a little better, who knows, then that's totally fine. And in fact, I love my 8-bit dose NES 30 Pro, I believe it's called. I love that controller, and that is what I use predominantly for my Switch. I don't even use the stock controller anymore for any game. But on the retro side of things, those games were made with no latency in mind. Uh, no, no real measurable CRT or controller latency. Yes, for all of my fellow nerds, if you put it on a scope, I think there's microseconds here and there, plus the software processing. But, you know, they certainly were not compensating for 21 milliseconds of latency on the controller side, and definitely not you know, 30, 40, 50 milliseconds of latency on the display side. So the best example I can give is I love all of my wireless controllers because of all the testing I do. And I, I owned the 8BitDo SNES one and use that all the time as well, mostly for testing. And a good example is when a friend came over the other day and wanted to see how the Super NT looked on a calibrated OLED. 
you know, it was really just a matter of let's admire the graphics, and I just threw him the SNES wireless controller, and it was fine. It was a perfectly good experience. But then I had Beast and Jose over a few weeks before that, and there's no way I would hand them a Bluetooth controller. I can only imagine the strong pose stare Beast would have given me if I tried to hand him one of those. I brought over arcade sticks, and in my opinion, I think the Joyous controller by Crix would be good enough in almost every scenario I could imagine. I'm not a professional gamer. I'm just somebody that, uh, that's very sensitive to lag. And I've never noticed any lag using the Crix controller, where I have noticed some weirdness on the Bluetooth controller, any Bluetooth controller. So that's kind of the best way I could put it. Um, and when I, when I talked about this on Twitter, uh, people really lit up. And maybe they just needed somebody to be mad at. That's fine. I guess that's how the internet works today. But, um, you know... I would absolutely word that as if you're going to be doing serious gaming, you need to use the lowest latency controllers possible. And a lot of people responded with, you know, I'm a serious gamer and I use Bluetooth. Yeah, that's your choice too. You know, I'm, uh, I'm overweight and eat, drink beer. That's my choice as well. It doesn't mean it's good for me. It's just what I'm choosing to do. So I don't understand a lot of the backlash from that, especially some of the people. There's one guy that runs a forum that was absolutely livid that I would promote this. I don't understand any of it. So uh, how about civil civil discussion in the comments? Uh, there's been many in the past year. Shocking, by the way. Uh, so thank you. Thank you for that. And maybe thank you for this. But you know, I'm always wondering why people get so upset with things like this. Is it just that same problem that I don't understand where if somebody does a review that says one thing is good, maybe you get insulted that your thing isn't? I don't get it, but uh, I'm always fascinated by that. If anybody's a shrink, I'd love to uh, talk about different ways to present things that won't light everybody up the way this did. But I'm going to continue to do and say what I've always, uh, in that I'm going to use the lowest, lowest latency controllers possible when I'm gaming for real. You know, sitting down, really playing a game, really paying attention. I'm not going to use Bluetooth on retro because it's variable latency, uh, and it's a lot of latency for something that should be at essentially one or zero. So I guess that's it. Flame away in the comments. Uh, interested to see what people have to say about this. And I'm still really curious why people freaked out. So uh, once again, tremendous and huge thank you to Enforcer and to Todd for doing this research, for getting the awesome post up, uh, and then for standing there taking the shit while people were somehow upset with a perfectly good scientific result post. Such is life. Well, that was kind of a short one this week, but people get annoyed either way. Too long, too short, not enough stuff I'm interested in. Whatever, I do my best. <laughs> but uh, thank you very much to everybody who watches and listens, and thank you for everybody who comments down below. There's been a shocking amount of great uh, conversations happening, which is not the normal for YouTube at all. So I feel very lucky for all of that. And of course, thank you so much to all of my supporters on all platforms. Uh, it was approved for YouTube, and then there's Bitbacker, Subscribestar, and Patreon. It is all of you that make this stuff happen, as well as all of the behind-the-scenes work. And oh boy, is there some fun stuff coming this year that I cannot wait to share with people. Uh, I promise if you see me disappear for a few days, it's because I'm working on awesome stuff, and I'm really looking forward to getting that all out. So thank you to all the supporters for making it happen, and I'll see everybody next week.